Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery, code Wondery. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture-proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Welcome to the Rose Podcast number 478. Talking Dead is back. Wait a minute. Just go, let's see, and then launch into the same way you intro every podcast for like 700 episodes. Don't try to understand the Matrix code that was, behind my it intros. It was like watching it turn on. It was Well, you know why? Because I, I, I just had to think about what I want to talk about. You know, like I mean, it was like watching a DOS computer start. You know, just that. <laughs> Some people get cranky about the intros. I say this is how we keep the podcast free. Oh yeah. Oh Matt, I'm. Oh no, we this were is doing weird. an this intro is weird. for another podcast. It's not you at all, Matt. It was um. This is a first. Another. It's for a science experiment yeah, yeah. that Kyle's doing. I'm interviewing him for a school project. Okay, so um, I was born in Louisville, Kentucky, okay, good, good, and good. grew up in Memphis. Well, it's about like famous Memphisonians. Say on the podcast. Yeah. Okay. All right. This science this? project was brought to you by uh, Sherry's Berries. Sponsor. Well, because it's a really Matt, intense story. It's a really intense now. story. All yeah. All our homework assignments are sponsored by things like Sherry's Berries. Yeah, that's right. Sherry's so, berries. what is Sherry's Berries? Well, Sherry's Berries, uh, you can order uh, just in time for Valentine's Day at these incredible giant Wait, berries. You're telling me I could still order in time for Valentine's Day? So you can still Day. order in time for Valentine's Day, and you get these giant dipped berries in white chocolate, milk chocolate, dark chocolate. Uh, they can top top with chocolate chips, the little decorative swizzles. So what this swizzles, sounds like man. to me is a better version of edible arrangements without the bullshit melon. Um, yeah, I mean, if you want to look at it that way, yeah. I guess that would be one way to look at it. Screw I mean, the melon. Uh, you can get a forty percent off discount. Oh boy! By using the offer code Nerd when you order. Okay, but um, how will they know it's from us? Well, I don't know. I guess it could be from anybody, really. Yeah. It could be anybody. Nerd, I mean, it's yeah, pretty it's just vague. pretty generic. Is it like a four-character limit on their codes or something? Should we talk to someone? Let's say there doesn't is. doesn't matter. It <laughs> doesn't there matter. Is. The point is, you should get there. Matt's stuff. dissecting this intro the way that you would dissect the berries with your teeth. Oh, I like what you're saying. And you'll get all the <laughs> berry chocolatey goodness out I of it. I am going to go metastasize the, the rest The Sherry's berries are actually ama- pretty amazing. And th- you will appreciate this, Matt. You know yeah. what their URL is? Berries.com. How did they do that? That's their domain. They got berries.com. B-E-R-R-I-E-S.com. So you're going to go there. You're going to click the microphone at the top right corner of the homepage and type in nerd. Go to berries.com and type in nerd. Offer ends Thursday. Offer ends Thursday, the 13th of February. Isn't that amazing? Your childlike wonderment on your face. Well, sometimes I type in, I go to the Huffington Post, right? Uh And sometimes I type the word hug accidentally. The Huffington Post? I expect it to auto fill. H-U-F, and then it autofills Huffington, and then I hit enter. But sometimes that I hit is hugs. I would like to go to the Huggington But sometimes I hit day. hug and then enter. So it goes to hug.com, which uh, 
is nothing right now. So really? what I'm saying is, guys, let's buy it. Someone's got to own it. Someone has to. Hug.com. I don't know what we could put there. I'm gonna look it up. All right. So, but so if it's not if so if it's available now, it won't be by the time this goes up. I'm gonna own Hug. Nice I'm gonna done. own Hug. And also, if you go to MattMyra.com, you'll see a Google search of pizza cats. <laughs> <laughs> there goes Matt Meyer, everyone. <laughs> He's out of here, and we're almost out of here too. Morgan Murphy was the guest, dear, dear, dear friend of ours. Um, we all started comedy around the same time. Um, oh, we're Mor- at Bruco. At the Bruco. Um, Morgan has a new special called Irish Goodbye, which was filmed at Meltdown, at Nerd Melt, at the Nerdist Showroom at Meltdown. It is on Netflix now. Um, so check it out. It's, it's sort of like in the BJ Novak podcast where it's, you know, it's, maybe it's lame that we have to sit down for a podcast to catch up, but the important thing is that we do get to catch up. And, uh, and Morgan's great. So here we go. The Nerdist Podcast number 478 with Morgan Murphy. Now entering Nerdist.com. Welcome, Morgan Murphy, to the Nerdist Podcast. Thank you for having me. Chris. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Um, I uh, it was late today, but I got here. Am I not <laughs> supposed okay. to say that? That I was no, it's late? fine. You can say whatever you want. Oh, it's really fine. I, it's, it's, I'm not a late person. I'm no, not it's like easy a to assume that we would have been at Meltdown, where we do a lot of shows. I thought you lived there. <laughs> well, now I live here a lot of the time. Oh. I split my time. Actually, I don't get to. I don't get to spend a lot of time at Meltdown anymore because. Everything I do is here. True. So I don't, I get to, you know, pop over from time to time. But um, it, there's always stuff going on there. I like that. I kind of wish it was 24 hours. That would be cool. Yeah, there was a film crew there. Big, busy film crew. Oh, yeah, for Joan and Camille's, uh, yeah. Joan and Camille's Comedy Central show. I know. They did a lot of really cool artwork on the, like, they painted the walls with this really cool mural and. It looks it looks pretty rad. Like the place place looks great. Uh, I should probably get them to leave a lot of that stuff so we can <laughs> make it look like we're really trying the rest of the year. <laughs> That's the way to do it. <laughs> um, my uh, I haven't seen your special yet just because I've not stopped working. My girlfriend's been watching it, and uh, she was like, "Oh, I'm watching Morgan Murphy's special. It's fun and, and, and funny." And, and I go, "It's a little bit of trivia." Yeah, I bought Morgan Murphy her first legal. Beer. Yeah. Was it a beer or just a drink? It was uh, It was a beer, and you and Zach were, uh, I like, I can't, somebody, it was, you guys both bought me drinks, like, the second I turned 21. Oh, but Zach Galifianakis. Yeah, we went to um, Madison's, right? We went to that bar, Madison. Was it, were we at the Gypsy or the Bruco or something? I think we were at the Bruco, mm-hmm. and then we went to uh, one of your many. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All of them. <laughs> Haunts. Yes. And, if, if, uh, if they had if they had beer, I would haunt that place. Yes. And uh, and I had my first legal. And yeah, you you bought me my first legal drink. Have I known you since you were like eighteen or yeah. ni- eighteen years 19, old? I 19? think I yeah I, I feel like I started. It was like turning nineteen. I was eighteen, turning nineteen when Man, I started. That's amazing. I really wish I had. Gone after comedy when I was 18. I wanted to do it. I did it a little bit. I mean, I did it in college with a, with a comedy group. 
But um, but just the idea at 18 of just kind of like going out and doing open mics and trying to tackle it. Yeah. It took me nine more years before I actually got the balls to start doing stand-up. But you were working. I mean, you were working as a person who presented things and, you know, uh, spoke How British camera. of you. I was a presenter. And, uh, you spoke eloquently. <laughs> Welcome to Stangled Out, bitches! <laughs> uh, I was a philosophy major. That's <laughs> all right. Um, you were always a hot... Yeah, I mean, I feel like the first... Gosh, at least like first three to five five years of stand up, like you were a a, a constant wonderful presence. <laughs> that was a fun. That was a fun group. It's funny that we were just talking to BJ Novak about that the other day too, because he, you and BJ were kind of in the same class in terms yeah. of like that year. You know, like you and BJ and Dan Mintz, and yeah. then there were a handful of other other people. But it it really was. Uh, Infused with this kind of new young energy and a diff- and a new kind of joke style, which people weren't really hadn't you know like it wasn't it wasn't really um, I don't know how else to say it it wasn't really in fashion at the moment like to come in with the two line joke style right and then it really like I don't know it just sort of opened up the doors for this whole new wave of of quick joke comedy. You mean I helped open doors? You did. You helped Aww. open doors. I mean, it's, you know. It, it, it's so weird to even think of myself as being someone who's not new or young. Like, I, I'm, I still go like, oh, I'm just a young kid out there. Then I show up and I go, I don't know anybody. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what I happened think, to the whole scene? Even I still feel that way, though. And, and I'm way older than you. But I, I still feel that way, especially if I see, you know, like... Um, I don't know, just groupings of comics, like older comics. I'll go, yeah, I'm the young. And yeah. Like, oh, yeah, no, there's a whole, I'm way, way, way past. Especially at, at, um, the show that you did at the improv that I jumped up on. Like, oh, right, right. Ago. That was really fun. That was fun. And it was kind of, on the one hand, it was sort of a reunion, especially the earlier show being, you know, Howard Kramer and Chip Pope and Laura House and Jen McClain and all these people. And then, yeah. and then our show and... So Riley Newton hanging out there. Riley like, Newton was yeah, hanging out there. It was and great. Then, but then also there were a lot of young younger people. I was like, who the fuck are these people? Like yeah. there was some guy, there was some comic that went up on your show who was like twenty years old. Oh yes, uh, I, I a really funny kid whose name escapes me, but uh, I remember talking to him before. And he was and he was really and he was shockingly funny. And I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. It's just that usually the t- nineteen and twenty year olds that I've right. encountered don't at least with comedy, aren't, aren't as confident and don't form ideas that way, that yeah. well on stage yet because they're still figuring it out and they're young. But he clearly, like... I think his name was like Pete Davidson or something, but it might I, I could have both names wrong, first and last. Dave Peterson? I don't David know. I don't Peter, David Pe- Davidson. Pete Peterson. Steve. Peterson? Peter Stevenson. Peter Stevenson. Peter, Peter Stevenson, the 20-year-old uh, phenom. Peter Stevenson. <laughs> yep. Peter Stevenson. Um... But he was great, and uh, and the, the whole show, and then and then the, the British guy who uh, apparently was super huge comic in England, yeah, um, who was really funny, whose name I can't remember now. His agents, I guess, are mine. Mine too, not really. But they all like left right after his set, <laughs> and I was like literally like going up. Like on stage, and I go, I think that's my agent leaving. <laughs> I remember you did say that. Yeah. I go, all right. 
That's so funny. Yeah, it is. It is sort of funny when you share agents with someone and they show up and you're like, oh, but and then you think they're there for you. Yeah. But then they all act surprised to see you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 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 you're. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. The other guy. There's yeah. the other guy here. Oh, his name was um, Jack Whitehall. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Whitehall. Yeah. yeah. Um, nice. He seemed. He seemed uh, very pleasant. Really pleasant. Really funny. Really funny. Um, and really like plays massive venues and yeah. <laughs> but um. Where, are you performing a lot around town, or are you? Because now that the special's out, you start you starting over. Yeah, starting over. I mean, technically, it was starting over from like when I taped it, but I've I write on you know this uh, I write on two broke girls, and uh, and I it's so hard for me to like work and write at the same time for myself. It just it just <laughs> you said something really. I, I loved uh, you said. Are, are you hearing the mic cable? Yeah, Oh, good for you. Oh yeah, great. Thanks, Katie Levine. Um, now we don't have to sift through the is someone eating the microphone uh, uh, tweets but you said you said something that was so fucking funny to me on stage where you go so recently at work you know this show I work on the blonde one and then the dark haired one <laughs> you don't really give a shit what their names are or something like that I was just like trying to explain to people who don't you haven't seen the show or you don't want to you know yeah. probably why their names but I was just I was explaining a joke that I couldn't get on the air. Yeah. And I was trying to like paint the picture. And I was just like, all right, there's two people. There's two people on the show. If you don't know the show, it's not going to matter yeah. if I tell you who their names are. You don't give a shit who the names are. And then you tell it. What was the joke? Do the you- joke was, uh, the joke was, oh yeah, it was, I wanted the, uh, I'll do it. The, the, I wanted the, the brown hair one to say, uh, hey, I want a croissant or something like that. And then the uh, blonde hair the blonde hair. My boss is gonna kill me. I love these two. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, the one with the yellow hair. She says, uh, "No, no, no." That Beth, uh, uh, Beth Barry's character goes, uh, "Goes, oh, it's croissant. The T is silent." And then I wanted Kat Denning's character to say, uh, "Well, then you're being a real cun." <laughs> <laughs> and I could, and we couldn't get it through. Well, of course, the you can't get. I thought I could try. I thought it was like a, I thought it was the closest to you a cun joke that you could get on the TV. I. I don't even think I could get away with that on Comedy Central, much less C- CBS, yeah. right? Uh, you, you, there's no, I mean, like the most family network yeah. on, on of the major networks, and you, there's no, there's no way that they. But no, I, they that is a no. gorgeous joke. Thank you. Because I might start lying and saying like it happened to me in my life, and just putting it in my stand-up act. Isn't that fun? The sort of the, I, mean, the, I was at this French paste patisserie, and this lady was like. There's no tea in croissant, so I called her a cun. I love, I love how. Well, I think I think that's a quicker way to the joke, right? And also, doesn't require any knowledge of your show, and doesn't require any knowledge of like network politics right. and standards, and and because it, it's still a great joke. But I, I I like when the lines sort of get blurred about the acceptable amount of lying on stage. Yeah, I love that Louis has sort of opened has sort of. Open up the floodgates on that, where he'll tell this really long story and go, uh, and then none of that actually ever happened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like you know, a lot of so. Well, where, where My you- favorite though is uh, if you ever watch like if you like, I mean, and you know, I I don't real I don't have any hatred for any, anyone in comedy, but I would laugh a little bit at like uh, like Mencia's last big special. He just kept going on, and then this guy came up to me and said Carlos, and just said what he wanted. Just what the setup was of the joke, <laughs> but it was always like a guy came up to me and said this, and I was like, "That guy doesn't exist." Like, how I know I, it so doesn't. How exist. do I get into this joke about this thing? Oh, this guy yeah. came up to see? me, and he said, 
set up, so I said punchline. Now, see, I think there's such an opportunity there to make a character out of that guy if you're really aware of what your set is. So that it, it's like he's just this weird recurring guy in your yeah. life that comes up and asks you yeah. all these dumb questions over and over again. I, I, I think... He's like know, a weird genius at, like, at, uh, at premises. <laughs> <laughs> They're a friend. good team. They're a good team. But, I, but I, the, the idea of, like, you know, um, essentially making a cake of truth, but the icing is lies. You know what I mean? Like, where it's okay. Right. As long as the meat of what you're saying is true or, or at least reveals some sort of a truth about people or whatever. But it just, it's like in your case... Just for efficiency's sake, you kind of need to lie about the setup a right. little bit in order to service the joke the best. No, 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 totally. I always, uh, I like, like the thing I closed with in the special that I've been closing with for a while, and now I'm trying not to, and it's very difficult. For a new closer, it's very difficult. Have you, have you found that? Like, oh, you it's go, hard. Oh, I, yeah. don't, I don't know anything else other than this. Like, nothing else is going to work. Nothing else is going to work. That's the works. But the closer I do, I, I've been doing about some dirty thing I text to a guy is like the whole story happened in the joke about like I wrote accidentally wrote you know come in me eyes to some guy who's, <laughs> who's sexting me and uh and I had meant to write like come in me yes and I wrote come in me eyes and uh and like the whole thing happened except I never hit send I never sent come in my eyes but i looked at it read it and started laughing out loud and i was like oh my god what if i like it, it so the whole joke is like kind of a lie because i never sent the text but, but there I wrote is it, a true yeah because it's just it for like to economize that and have to you know if you say all that then it just right. like it sucks the comedy right out right, of it right. but just to, but just getting to the meat of it that way is i i think i think that's totally i think that's totally acceptable you have to you have to you have to fudge a little bit to yeah. make to make stuff the funniest true uh, did you tell a story on stage Years ago. By the way, every time that you start this way, I'm going to, like, it's some story that I wasn't supposed to say in public. Like, I feel like it's going to be, like, a horrible <laughs> revelation. Your affiliation with the Communist Party. Um, there's something about, or did, I'll, I'll tell you what, if this wasn't something you said on stage and something you just said to me as a friend, then we'll totally cut it out. Okay. But it had something to do with, like, <laughs> you, like, hook, hooking up with a guy. And I think. I think you were a virgin when I met you. Yeah. Not to suggest that you were not after I met you, <laughs> but the timeline was that when I met you, you were that. Right. And then uh, by someone else's uh, conquest, you yeah. uh, were no longer. So, so I've known you for that long, so there is sort of a little kid-sister element to the way that I sort of feel about you. Right. And so you told me this story, or you said this story on stage after you had just kind of started really like hooking up with people where you're like this guy oh I think this was on stage something about a guy putting his finger in your butt oh my god that was that one of my first like jokes that I ever told <laughs> that was like a story but it was uh it was about yeah it was I was in New Orleans over when I was I was in college I was not 21 yet I know all like because I remember going to New Orleans and not being 21 but I and some guy put his finger in my ass and I went and told that as a story because it was so um, unfamiliar to me. <laughs> I think like the whole joke was like, I, I don't remember the, the structure of the joke, but like the punchline or something was like, I was like, oh, your finger's in my ass for me. And he said like, are you sure? 
<laughs> and I and I then I realized like I wasn't sure. <laughs> and like that's how well I know my body or something like that. I can't remember. That was oh my gosh, that was that's like over ten years. That's like a ten year old joke. Over ten years. We've got all the old classics on the first podcast. Um, that was a fun time. It um, really was because I felt like it was a felt like it was a supportive group, but it was um, you know it was a it was a good I don't know it was just a really nice group of people to all kind of learn together and yeah. kind of watch everyone sort of go off in all of their different directions and you know some, yeah. some people are still in that scene some people went on to write other people went on to do comedy some people like just watching I mean to do stand up just watching where everyone kind people of, got married people got married had, had kids. kids maybe got divorced within there probably uh, within that time yeah I mean it seems like someone would have had to but I can't think of one right now um, oh good we have a good marriage success rate <laughs> within the group it was it was um uh, you know, seeing Aaron Lee and Jennifer McLean yeah. together at your show was pretty yeah. pretty insane. Because I we would have made like a good um, like um, remaining group on like The Walking Dead. <laughs> we would have made like we a good like died. yeah yeah. But just did you ever make the mistake of going back and assume and and I I I went back to that scene maybe like four or five years ago and arrogantly I thought. Well, I want to crush this room because this is I came out of this scene. Right. And I, you know, like I'm I'm kind of like I'm working on the road for real. Like I'm really doing it, you know. And then I went in and and just got bombed and I was like, what happened? Like it was such a it was such a it was such a, a moment <laughs> of like, oh yeah, you know, you still don't be a douchebag. You still have to try. Did you ever go back and um I haven't been back in a while. I went back for one of the like anniversary shows. It's all over now. The Bruco yeah, show's done. Yeah, I haven't been. I didn't go back to the big final uh, thing. I, I, I like we tape on Tuesdays, and I remember I kept wanting to. I didn't. Is that bad? No, it's fine. I wasn't able to go either. Yeah, we were all out of town. It, I mean, honestly, if it was, it was just like farther from my house, but I, it was probably the most like defining place as far as I'm trying to think of anywhere other than like somewhere like a Largo or something where it's like so exciting when you get in there, like the Bruco is just, you just, I don't know. I saw so many people become comedians there. Yeah. Like that was the coolest part. But what a, what a crazy thing that you got to experience in that most people don't go from essentially being kids. Right. While doing comedy and then growing up while doing comedy. Like you got, you had comedy as an outlet through a lot of your growing up period yeah I, mean, I, I didn't think and... of it as growing up period i felt like i was like oh i'm a i'm a little grown-up <laughs> i'm a little grown-up who's out here uh doing doing whatever i just felt like uh i, I was i was the difference was i was at college during the day and then would come to tell jokes and try to go i hope i have relevant things to say to people older than me where did you where did you go, did you go to lmu yeah yeah you went to LMU. did you graduate yeah what, what was your degree English. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't, I didn't do anything spectacular there. Well, you were performing. Academically or anything. Yeah, but you're, you were kind of like, did you think this comedy thing, I'm going to just make, make a career out of it? Or was it? I don't it- know what I thought. I, I, I was definitely in the mindset of like, I, I like to write. I think I like to write comedy. I really don't know how you do that for TV, but I'm just going to 
do this and figure <laughs> is it out what, what the you next thought step it was. <laughs> it's everything. Uh, it, it actually is. It actually is pretty great. I, I, I didn't expect to like work. I expected it to take longer to like get work. You know, I expected, I didn't expect to work like out of college and, and all like that sort of stuff was, I think a combination of luck and other stuff, but, uh, I don't know. Yeah, it, I mean, I, I love doing it. I just, uh, I didn't expect to, I expected to kind of do whatever people do in their 20s that's not working and then maybe have it hit or something. Right. And then um, got lucky enough to like kind of get work, you know, in school a little bit and right out of school. And I think that was a little bit of like a whirlwind for me because I, I'm not sure like I entirely knew like this is what I want to do. It was just sort of there to do yeah if that makes any sense at all Probably well not. i i think i feel like you're one of the ones who said that when you where did you grow up um i grew up like all i moved around uh la connecticut oregon that when you said that you when you kind of came in and found other comedians you were like oh there's a whole group of people who think the way i do yeah. and i thought i was weird before yeah yeah absolutely i always uh i i you know i've i was such a not a weirdo in high school i just again cuz i went to three high schools and i and i didn't have a strong sense of like my own identity or what i wanted to do and and then I suddenly met comedians at like 18, 19, and I was like, oh, this is how it's supposed to be like when you have conversations with your friends. It's like supposed to be organic, and they <laughs> say something, and you laugh, and you say something, and they laugh. And it was like, it's literally like, you know, speaking like Chinese your whole life, but you grew up around people who speak English, and then you meet another person who speaks Chinese, and you go, but there's oh, more of you. I get it. Can you imagine if you never found that, you would have just felt like, I'm just fucking weird. I yeah. don't, no one, I do not connect with anybody. Yeah. Cause it, if you really are, if you really do kind of have that comedy brain, it, you don't acclimate to <laughs> other social situations very well until you right. kind of learn how to communicate with those people. I'm like, Oh right. Not everyone is going to say the most offensive thing they can think of in, right, a, right. in a moment or they're not going to crack, you know, like just start cracking or riffing yeah. on something while everyone else is like, what are you doing? If you had told me when I was like 21, that there'd be a time in the not too distant future that I would enjoy the company of like non comedians. I'd be like, no way, man. Like, you know, like I was so, I was so like comedians are where it's at. Like, I don't know why it was like a little gang. And I and I thought like these are you know these are my people in a sense like these are the people I can talk now it's it's weird because most of my friends are like not comedians and I don't have that like riff that constant riffing which like oh yeah you know I always that's that's one of the best parts I think about like but your friends are funny though my friends are funny yeah but they're not I was so um, I don't know I think you have to. You have to weirdly gravitate. Like you have, not, you have to graduate from like everyone I know is a comedian to like you know being with people in the real world and going like, all right, I don't have to. I can know regular people and not be like, ugh, they're not funny. Like I can right. know regular people and they can be fine. Like they can be great and they can be some of my best friends. They don't have to be the funniest people in the world. Right. I think I used to be a little bit of like a comedy snob. <laughs> we yeah. all were when we were young though because yeah. we just get very scared and defensive about our own little like 
this out. It's supposed to be like I, yeah. I've gotten way less comedy snobby. You know, the old, like as you start to get older, you're like, yeah, yeah that works for those people, and right. then I do works for these people, and it's fucking, it's fine. Everyone, it's just different. It's right, just different. right, we, right. It's not that kind of young, like you don't understand me, man. <laughs> I feel like I have a picture. I think I have a picture of the night you turned twenty-one. I feel like we were at a bar, and there was a photographer there, like um. Like a Bud Light photographer, like taking pictures, like promo pictures, <laughs> right, you know. Right. Someone took a picture of me and Zach, and so I jokingly was like, "Oh, you signed this picture," and so he he grabbed it and with a sharpie he wrote, <laughs> "Dear Chris," and the two of us, it's just the two of us, like face to face, like side by side, like right. hey, and, uh, and he wrote, "Dear Chris, wish you weren't here." Is that Calvinacus? <laughs> I have that picture somewhere, and I think it's from that night. I feel like it was from that night for some reason. That that's, that sticks out to me. That's my mom's favorite like celebrity to know. Oh, Zach? Yeah. I saw Zach, I saw Zach on the... She always goes, does he like his box? She got him a wooden box as a thank you gift for... Uh, sure. For... At my college graduation party in his backyard. Oh, right. And, uh, and she got a wooden box, and like for... Ten years she's been going. Does he like his box? I go, yes, mom. He's, he liked Can't it stop ten talking years about ago. it. Still, he loved it. Ten I years saw ago, he was on a was on a billboard, and I said, I got him a box. You know what's really weird is being in. in I was in Las Vegas, and um, the, the same way that they have like the Spider Mans and the you know like the, the Bane and people like out on the sidewalk and characters that you yeah. take pictures with. There's like Zach's as <laughs> his character from The Hangover. There's like bearded dudes with a fake baby Bjorn and the glasses so crazy. just like just like they're a fucking Batman right but it's Zach yeah that's it's so mind bendy that's weird. so weird to me it's really weird it's uh I was trying to think if there was like a I was gonna say if there was like a Boris Hamilton uh, <laughs> so guy specific. <laughs> so specific I think we should It'd be really fun just as a as a, a personal prank that would only be funny to like maybe sixty people. Yeah. So we should just we should just go out and and dress people up like people from the LA open mic scene. <laughs> we'll put them at the at Man's Chinese Theater, you know, just like young Morgan Murphy, this giant explosion of red curly hair. And a, I just watched sweater. some footage recently from like that era. Yeah, and because uh, I got all my tapes put on whatever digitized, is that what yeah. I'm saying? Sure. And uh, oof, <laughs> like it's real weird to watch old. I mean, any I feel like I can watch something from yesterday and go like, oh, I'm, I got better since then, right? Like, but watching stuff when you're beginning is hard. Yeah, I like wonder why anyone stayed in the room. Well, you, you're. Style evolved a lot from just doing like two line jokes right. to this kind of interesting hybrid version of that, but with stories around them too. It's a, so it it is it's it's a really specific, you know, like the. Well, I think that all thing. I knew how to do in the beginning was like write a joke, say it, see if it's funny. Write a joke, say it, see if it's funny. Like to me, that was I wasn't a like performer. So, you know what I mean? Like, I wasn't like, I'm going to get on stage and kind of fill the space with my, with my fun. That's what BJ Novak said, too. Oh, really? Because he said he was inspired by Dan Mintz, who was doing comedy when they first yeah, knew yeah. each other. And he said, well, I wasn't a stand-up, so I was just like, well, I'll just try this. Yeah. I'll see if these jokes are funny. 
but it fit really nicely in context with everything else that was going on because you were coming out of a this is a little comedy history. You're sort of coming out of a period of like um, you know Embar was sort of that post alternative um, on cabaret style right. of like. Hey, these are just loose stories, and there's yeah. no real point other than this is just shit that happened, and it's loose, and there's no real jokes, but it's just sort of you know like, yeah, yeah. And then so to then all of a sudden have this infusion of people who are like, oh, we're joke writers, and we're going to write jokes, right. and there's a turn at the end that you're not gonna hopefully not gonna see coming, or like a kapow at the end. It was antithetical to the rest of the stuff, you know. And Zach brought that in too, right? You know. Um, so it was just when you sort of look at like where comedy, it almost felt like it was a rebellion against all that other stuff. But in the end, I guess it just seems like, no, no, these people just wanted to write jokes and it had nothing to do with anything else other than that. Yeah. And I think it's probably also hard. I mean, for me, at least the idea of telling a story at 19 that people would care about, about my real life just seemed like a daunting task. Like, well, that I would go through my day and go like, there's nothing here that anyone who's not also a sophomore in college is going to appreciate. So I'm just going to tell these weird little lies (laughs) that I call jokes and see what happens. But that MBAR time was, was pretty, that actually one of the highlights, because I think of the highlights that you have like coming up are so little, it's like, Oh, so-and-so said they liked me. And like, that's your, you know, your favorite comedian says they like you. And, you know, that's your highlight for the next three years. Like I remember when they were printing business cards because that was popular (laughs) for uh, (laughs) business cards were really popular in comedy for a while. And they had business cards for the uh, comedy death ray at the M bar. Mm -hmm. And they were, somehow printing up new cards and me and BJ and Dan were like the last three names on the card. It was like, you know, it was like Sarah. You made the cut. Yeah, I made the cut. It was like all these like big, you know, all your favorites, the Louis and the Pattons and the Sarah whatever. And then like at the end, it was like, we made the cut on the card. I remember being so excited. Like more, I couldn't, uh, at the time, I wouldn't have expressed this excitement because I would have been, you know, not cool. But horribly uncool to horribly express excitement uncool. and enthusiasm about a thing. But that was, uh, I remember being really thrilled about that yeah because there because it's very hard with what we do to quantify your progress right it's like trying to discern whether or not you've grown an inch in the past year like you just can't you just don't know so you need these kind of outside markers to tell you oh yeah. i guess i'm doing something right cuz i made that card or i got booked on that show or yeah. that's not a bringer show that's an actual book show yeah, and they yeah, asked yeah. me to do it or yes, i got it's a paid. coffee shop but you get a free coffee like <laughs> sort of stuff like that you don't have to you don't have to buy a coffee to get no, on they give you, you a coffee give you one. if yeah. you go on totally different story how exciting yeah you don't have to bring people but people will show up that you don't know yeah. to see you yeah, I think I remember like seeing it was like I think it was like Patton or Posehn or somebody in the back of uh, Lulu's Beehive and going like well, this place is legit, <laughs> like legit as fuck. Like I was so excited because well, you know, that, people bigger than you were, the people that you loved were in the room. You were like, oh my god, this that's is- how comedians judge the quality of a room because there's no other way to know yeah. how good a room is. So if someone asks you to do a show, any comedian. Most of the time, their first question will be, "Who else is on the show?" Right? Because you're you're trying to gauge, like, yeah. you know, are these comics that I that I like? Are these comics that I respect? Are these yeah. comics that you know 
that are fucking like don't just do any show is this special yeah. in some way you're just we you know we we have to we have to guess we have to so these are just these kind of external markers that when that's that's all that's the only roadmap we have it's it's kind of a weird path i mean like the fact that we have to find ways to be encouraged to keep doing something you know is it, i feel like it in a lot of ways comics are like the little sea turtles that are just trying to get to the water, and you know that like seventy percent of them are going to get swooped up by seagulls, but thirty percent are going to get through. Yeah. You know, and some of them will get to be giant sea tortoises once they get into the water. So it's been fun to watch all of us become sea sea turtles. Thank you. Isn't that That's nice? a beautiful story. It's a really nice story. Not for the seventy percent that were killed. Um, yeah, I, I feel like I remember when you met Lorraine Newman, and you're like, "Oh my god, I fuck, I met Lorraine Newman," and you know, that like, was pretty cool. There have been a lot of. She was at the show the other night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw her at the uh, the improv. She's, uh, I mean, she's amazing. I think, I think that, uh, I mean, and this could be maybe this is just me, but I think that I've, a, by the way, a tendency to like apologize for things I say before I say them. Sure, yeah, no, that's okay. okay. I apologize. Um, <laughs> that was but, after uh, that time. Yeah, it was after. But I, uh, I think that. The interesting thing about, I guess, like my motivation was always very kind of selfishly or whatever. Like, I always wanted the people that I really liked to respect me. Mm-hmm. Like, people, you know, like all the, uh, you know, I mean, like people I was saying, like Sarah and Pat and Louie and, yeah. you know, Gapka, whoever, whoever it was, like the people that I kind of came up watching, you know, I remember thinking, like, oh, like, oh, she, she said she likes me. That's amazing. That's amazing. Like, once you kind of run out of peers, not that I've like gone through them, but once like you like once that stuff stops being a motivating factor, it's like you have to find the new motivating factor. And it's like I've never been somebody who got that huge rush off the audience the way some people seem to like because people are like, oh, I just need the audience and I need the sound of whatever. Like I've never been that person, so it was very like. I was like even a few years ago, it was like a turning a, I guess turning the page into like a, to a new chapter of who am I doing this for now? Right. Basically, like I'm not, I'm not a 21 year old like really trying to impress my peers. Like that's gotten old. Mm-hmm. So now it's like I I have to kind of just do it for me. And then where's the motivate? I don't know if you like ever found yourself in that place where you go like, oh, I don't know why I'm doing this anymore, and I have to find a new. I mean, I a really new thing do, to push me. I like I like forming a relationship with the audience. I really do like that. Yeah, and I do like. I really like the process of figuring out. I mean, it's it's the closest thing that we have to science. Yeah, where it's just it's very much like a scientific method where we form a hypothesis about an idea and then we test it and we check the results and then we go back and adjust. And, you know, like, so I I do like the process of finding what works with an audience because that rush of like, Oh my God, I just discovered a bit and then figuring out all the different ways that you can build around it. And then it's a thing and then it's a chunk and then maybe it's your act. And, you know, like I love that discovery process almost as much, if not more than just going on stage and going like, I know these five jokes these five stories I'm going to tell are going to kill because they're time tested. Right. And it's, you know, like a lot of times it does feel good to sort of jerk your brain off that way. But I also really do love the discovery process in between. And 
I mean this as a compliment. I I can tell when you're on stage that you don't give a shit about what the audience is doing. Not not in a negative way, but it just yeah, feels... Yeah, it never... I, I, by the way, in my head, I was like, God, does that sound cunty? And no, I didn't it doesn't mean sound cunty. that. Like, I don't mean that I don't care about the audience as people at the all. The opposite of that. No, it's just... You're not. Your motivation is not whether or not they're going to fall out of their chair with right. every syllable, which means that you don't come off needy or desperate, and it it makes you a good leader because it's sort of like, well, you can be on board with this or not. I'm going to say these things, right. and and in our, I think it makes you make more um, daring choices because you don't, you know. I have found a lot of times that I, you know, if I only have ten minutes. I might make less risky choices because I don't have the runway to really get into the story. So it's like, well, right. this is really just about laps per minute and not me trying to build a whole thing um, when I probably should be experimenting with stuff more. So the opposite side of that is that, you know, for the first several years of my comedy, it was like, there's no spaces, there's no air because yeah. I have to just keep talking all the time to keep the audience distracted. So it's so weird, like how talking about comedy can, I don't know, I, I could talk about it for hours and like try to figure out why things work and why things don't work. And like that moment you're talking about that, like figuring out a bit, like there's still nothing better than that. There's still nothing better than like writing a new joke, which is so, I think that's. I don't know how you become a person where the best feeling ever is writing a new joke. Like <laughs> that's. Like my parents and my my aunts and uncles and stuff, and like people I've lived with, they're like everyone kind of goes like, "Where?" I'm not like any of them, you know. And I'm just like, I don't know, I don't know what it is. It's like, but the the heart of it is like that's what excites me is yeah, that's, is a that's, new joke. That's so, why when people say like um, when you meet other performers and they go, "Oh man, I can fucking I can never do stand up. I don't know how you do that. That is so brave to do that." And I always go like, "Well, oh, I appreciate that you're trying to compliment me." But I would think that most comics would tell you that it's not a choice. That yeah. there's some sort of a weird thing that motivates us to get up on stage in front of strangers and say things and have them go, aha. You know, like it's a strange thing. And yeah. I don't feel like, I don't feel like, I mean, at some point we choose to start doing it, but I really don't feel like it's as conscious as that. It's just like, um, just the same way, you know, an, an animal knows that it's. You know, how does a certain squirrel know it's supposed to dig underground to protect itself? Like, it's just this kind of innate thing where you go, oh, this is, feels like I'm, I feel like I'm supposed to yeah. do this. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, there's no part of my life that would have pointed me towards, like, stand. It wasn't like I had a performer parent or anything. You know, I didn't have, there was nothing in my life that said, oh, this seems like a logical <laughs> destination for you like stand-up comedy on a stage like and also like i don't think of i could never do like sketch or like, you know i'm not a i don't do characters i don't, like I don't do voices i don't do like I, I sometimes i'm like why do i get on stage like i get on the stage <laughs> like i don't I'm, I'm not a a big presence or a big person i'm not loud i'm not uh i don't move around a lot you know it's just I don't know. It's just uh... with sketch, I always want to go. Uh, like once a sketch doesn't work, I don't it isn't working in a moment. I don't like that. I don't have the ability to go. All right, I know this is dumb, yeah. and we're not who we say we are, and we're like I yeah. just have such a need to be myself. Yeah, I, I really am not. I really don't. Whereas I think a lot of sketch people, they need to be in character, right? Because that is a that is a layer of protection. You know, it's like they're. 
they're they're in character, so it's not it really isn't them. Yeah, I mean, I always thought my whole like sketch versus or why I, my whole reasoning. And I think I've like told this story somewhere, but I I don't think maybe I haven't. Uh, but why stand up I think is easier than other stuff is that you're only letting yourself down if you mess <laughs> up. Like in my head, you're like, oh well, in a play or in TV or something like that, if you if you're in an ensemble and you mess up, you make everyone around you look bad. And I go, like, in stand-up, if you mess up, you just fail yourself. And to me, failing myself is way easier than failing other people. Sure. So, like, that, it was a lot. Like, like improv and all that stuff to me just felt very, uh, it felt impossible because I could never... I would never want to feel responsible for all these other people's uh And the flip side of that is that you don't have to on rely stage. on other people to do your right. thing. That you could just go, like, you know... In theory, you could just walk outside right. and start talking and people would crowd around you and you're like, you have a show. <laughs> it's not like, oh, I got to call this guy and we got to do a rehearsal yeah. and I got to, you know, oh, he didn't show up so we didn't get to do the, you know. On the other hand, it can be cripplingly lonely. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, on the road it can, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, so much of being able to take Chloe with me places on the road a, a lot the last couple of years has been it was so nice because it's, you know, it at least it... it it felt like, oh, okay, good. This isn't, I'm not going back to my room and then calling my girlfriend and being like, oh, can we just stay on the phone till we fall asleep? <laughs> <You know? laughs> I mean, it's, it's nice. I, I would much rather, um, yeah, I would much rather go on the, mostly because uh, like I've been, I feel lucky enough to, to make a living writing comedy for other people. Like I don't, I would rather go on the road and open for, you know, feature for a friend and be with a friend than headline by myself, uh-huh. which, you know, I mean, I wouldn't say that that's a hundred percent of the time, but just for, you know, your basic, like a lot of the gigs that I'll end up taking during the year, because I have to pick very few because of my job, yeah. I'll pick like the little festivals, you know, like you know, see Portland, Seattle and yeah. music festivals and things like that. Cause it just it gives me an opportunity to see other comedians. And, you know, I'm like, if I'm going to take off this weekend and work Monday to Friday and then work all weekend and then work again, I don't know if I want to like go be by myself somewhere. Right. Isn't it, and there's a bunch of good ones coming up too. There's a Bridgetown and Moon Towers coming up. Sketchfest is this week. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right there's a bu- yeah. There's a bunch of stuff. That's also sad. Like, like the sad thing too is when you're working on other things, having to say no to what you know would be a fun time. Yeah, and a good c- comedy opportunity. I was just thinking about what you said about having the other comics in the room, you know, like having the comics that you look up to in the room and just kind of wanting to be accepted by them and thinking about how funny it is that <clears throat> you could be crushing in a room of like 500 people and for the back of the room you saw, you know, someone like Louie or someone just like leave the room during your yeah. set, you'd be devastated. I'd die. You'd die. I would die. <laughs> it wouldn't even matter die. If, if people were like yeah. ready to carry you out on their shoulders after a set. If you saw that happen, you'd be like, I failed. Yeah. Why well, failed? Even I though think, like Louis said to me one time after like a Largo set, and that, and that you know he's he's probably my favorite comedian and and has been since I was you know, at seventeen eighteen. Like I, he said to me something like some, something like a, a compliment, and then stop bringing notes on stage. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was like, oh, like I just <laughs> couldn't handle it. Like I just couldn't handle. Like ah, oh, like you go right to like he hates me and. I can't. Why do I have notes on stage? I got to explain to him that I can't memorize things good. And but 
uh, also, you know, I guess he cared enough to say something. Well, but he also, he's like a, he's a comedy analyst. Yeah. Because I, I remember I did a bit somewhere and I, it was, oh, the, the bit was something about, it was like um, a, one of those dream machine alarm clocks that had the different sound effects that would put you to sleep. And I think mine was like, um, uh, there were a few, I picked some wacky ones, you know, like uh, Keanu Reeves sound. And then Tom um, Likas. And it was just like, like I just made all these dumb noises. And then I did it again because in my head, I was like, oh, well, if the alarm goes off, you're going to hit the snooze button and it's going to come on again, uh-huh. you know, a few minutes later. And I got off stage and he was like, oh, it's a good set, but um, why did you do that part? Why did you do that one twice? Why did you do that voice twice? And I tried to explain it to him <clears throat> and I couldn't explain it well. And so I got really flustered. But, you know, he didn't stand to gain anything by asking me that question. Right. He just really wanted to know, like, from a purely stand-up comedian comedy standpoint why you know what was your motivation behind doing that and i i just i got so like i mean well i you know i just couldn't answer the question properly he's like a, a rare not a rare example but he's a a very good example of somebody who like you go all of his success you're like of course it's deserved like 15 years ago i was like this is my favorite comedian yeah. so i'm glad that you know 15 years from then he's like everybody's favorite comedian yeah like it's nice to see somebody who you thought was great already get better and enter that like you know i mean how many people are in his echelon like no not many i mean he's really at the top right now right <clears throat> he's the top he's kind of the top of the pile right now but it you know it um, and even he sort of recognizes, like, well, it's a dynamic uh, system, and I'm, I'm it now, but who knows what yeah. the fuck's going to happen later. I, I always liked... Um, I did some shows with him in Irvine, I feel like, years ago, so we would drive back and forth, and, you know, and then hearing the comedy advice that he got from Chris Rock from working on the Chris yeah. Rock show, where he's like, you know, don't listen to music on the way to a gig. You should be focusing on your set and going over your jokes. And you're and I was like, oh, my God, okay. You know, I never followed any of that advice because <laughs> I just, my brain doesn't work that way. But I, I liked getting the, I mean, yeah. it was really cool to hear, like, this was passed down to him and then he was passing it down. And, you know, he's one of the other comics said something about, we're like passing things down from people who are like four years older than us. <laughs> that's how well, quickly that comedy how, evolved. I know. It's not, Louis C.K. goes, this is how Chris Rock told me to do it. <laughs> I know. It's not like there's some ancient text yeah. from like a court jester <laughs> who had put it on a scroll and like this text says, do not be entertained yeah. on the way to the castle. <laughs> um, but it... it you know, just sort of watching someone, and it, and it really, it really shows you that comedy really is, even though it's expressed in an artistic way, it's really like most other jobs where you have to work at it, mm-hmm. and there's a series, you know, and you have to be consistent, and you have to approach it very kind of pragmatically, even though you sort of feel like, oh, it's just this weird free-form philosophical yeah. thing. Like, it's, that's the illusion of it. That's the magic. Yes. That's the magic of it. But it's actually very structured 
and it's just sort of decorated to be this like you know, I was just having this thought off the top of my head. Have you ever, ever gone? Do you, you, ever, you ever gone on stage and be like, I'm not going to write anything. I'm just going to go up on stage and just fucking see what happens. I've tried. <laughs> it doesn't work for me. I don't have any. Uh, I, 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 my stories, when they're not planned out, are fairly meandering with no end. Like they're just not. I'm not good at that. I'm not a. I don't think I'm like funny. Ha ha! As a as a regular lady, you know what I mean. You don't think so? I mean, I, I, I I'm just not a. I, I'm, I'm not a. I don't hold court the way some comedians can hold court. Right. You know, like there are people like a Todd Glass or something who like will be as entertaining at a party, you know, as right. he might be on stage or something. He will like, seize control of any room that he goes in yeah. in, the be- in the best way possible. Yeah, I've never been. I've never been that person. I feel like those are the people who do well, just freewheeling on stage. <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, I, I also go like, why would I go up and say nothing when I like took the time to write down these jokes? <laughs> <laughs> I've tried. I, I feel like I'm pretty good at crowd work, and I still can't just go up with nothing. Yeah. I just, I just, I, I've, I've pulled it off a couple times. But the majority of the time, if I'm just like, I'm just going to see what happens. What always happens is like, well, that didn't go well. I think I've done that a couple times, like stoned, and I don't smoke pot before I go on stage. And there's just been a few times where I just go like, I'm like, fuck it, it's a fun night. We're all hanging out. It's like my third show at the festival. Like, I'll just, I'll just do it. And I get like, it, every time, it's just a massive failure <laughs> was she stoned yes 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 is the answer <laughs> well last time i was stoned on stage i ran on stage going i apologize i just want to let everyone know that i mistimed my pot smoking i thought there were two other people before me we're all gonna get through this like i kind of walked the audience through my because i was just i was sitting upstairs like they're like oh, okay we got two more people to go i'm in a good place i should come down a little bit and then i heard my name i freaked out ran downstairs <laughs> it's like the it's almost like a mini nightmare i'm not ready to go on ready to you gotta get out there but i'm really stoned i well i don't know i you don't understand i needed 20 minutes to glide out of this. please can someone just do longer no did you spend the whole set talking about that i talked you know what i ended up talking more about about like things that had happened that night like like i ended up kind of doing what I said I didn't do, which is a little more of like a free form kind of thing inserted with jokes. But, uh, but yeah, I was down, I was downtown LA and I just started talking about downtown LA and I was even, even as I go and went into it, I was like, downtown LA. You, know, you start a thing, you go downtown LA is crazy in your head. You go, I don't have any downtown LA material. Why am I starting to talk about downtown LA? Is and it, was it, this the, um, which show was it? Was that the independent? It was a, uh, I think it was like a bar near there. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't even know what's going on in the L.A. comedy scene right now. It was a great festival, that Riot L.A. Oh, I know that. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. I mean, I thought that was fun. I feel like um, it's, it's funny that I might, in my head, I might go, yeah, I don't know if there's much of an L.A. comedy scene. I'm like, no, no, there's a lot of one. You just don't go into it <laughs> yeah. anymore because... I, so, like, I know the uh, Chinese food place in, in, in Los Feliz. <laughs> oh, right, And I yeah. only know it because it's two blocks from my apartment right, and I right. can walk to it. <laughs> And it, it really, it's actually a really, there's a fantastic, there could be a very fantastic scene, but just the thought of, 
I'm gonna go park and then I gotta go yeah, up and yeah, wait yeah. and it's like just to do just like yeah. eight, seven minutes. Now, Neil Brennan does a great show, but it's Sunday nights in Santa Monica. I oh, don't know so if you far. need to get to So far. I gotta get up the next morning. I'm gonna... It's so easy to get <clears throat> sort of spoiled by doing an hour going on the road or you know I do think it's a harder thing to do when you're comfortable in life anyways. I think like I wish I could write or be as uh I was never prolific, but be as um, consistently creating new material the way I was ten years ago. Like I don't, I don't know if I'll ever hit that again. Like when you're starting, you're writing everything down, and everything's a possible new bit, and you know you're just in it. And then I think, I don't know. I think the comfort of the rest of my life at times probably, probably has a negative effect on how much new material I churn out. Yeah, but. You know that something will probably happen at some point where you'll end up writing a, you know, like it'll, it's, if you really want that, you can experience that. You should just take a trip and go experience something and then express it, you know, like it, but yeah, in the beginning, there's a lot of writing because it's everything that's, everything that you're dealing with in your life up to that point that you've never... Yeah. It, it's just like... That's why it takes people like 10 years to come up with their first hour and then they write another hour every year or two after that. Like, it's like, you know, it's you're, you, get, you get to put so much into that first hour, I think. Yeah. Like, I think that tends to be why people's... I don't know. In, in my opinion, like a lot of people's first hours are like a little better than their second. Like, I don't know. Like, not, that doesn't count for everybody, but... You go, oh, yeah, that was like 10 years of material that person took to make that. Yeah. And then they made another hour a year later. Yeah, I mean, it's... uh, Mine was two years ago, and I'm still, you know, because I just don't have... I just don't have time to be on the road every weekend right now. So it's going to be a little while before I can really get out again and like make it happen again. But I also think your first one is so precious. Yes. It's like, it's so precious. Your first one. It's gotta be, it's gotta be amazing. You know, it's just like losing. It's like the first time you have sex versus like the second or 10th time where it's like, all right, let's just fucking let's just do this. I know what yeah. this is. I know what this is. Let's put it in. Let's fucking, let's do it. I think by the time I put the one out that I did it at Nerdamelt, like I, I think I just, um, I had recorded a CD in 06 that I listened to, hated, never put out. Then I thought about, oh, I'm going to do this special. I'm going to record it in Atlanta like a couple of years ago. Like That didn't work out. Like I, I kept, by the time I did, I was just like, I just want to make it with like three people and just put it online and see what happens. Like ba- Basically, it was the gist of it. Yeah. I wasn't that, I didn't romanticize that much as much as I was like, I have to get this material out there or I'll keep doing it. It's pretty exciting for me to have a space where you did your hour like that. I got so excited to, you know, when you wanted to, to do that there. It was really fun. It was very, um, I don't know, like I, I, in my head, I, I'm, I get a little nervous that someone's going to like find it on Netflix and be like, oh, what's this? There's like 50 people there. <laughs> but at the same time, that's what I wanted. And I think... I mean, I'd like to think that the jokes sort of speak for themselves and you can ignore the fact that there's like, you can see like the ribbons tied to like a pole or something, you know, like I just, (laughs) I don't know. I thought that was exactly the environment that I wanted to uh, make something in because I could just have like Clint and Charlie, the two guys who, you know, produced it and Bobcat, like it was just the three of us really. And then a crew, but I didn't have to deal with some outside production company. I didn't have to deal with people whose 
ideas didn't align with mine or like do it at a theater or do it here. Like, no, I just, I was like, I'm making a little thing, making it with my friends. We'll see what happens. Yeah. And that was it. And it's like, uh, it's intimate. Well, the next special you do, you can do the leather jumpsuit at Carnegie Hall. <laughs> Ten cameras. <laughs> Just totally go. By the way, fucking pyrotech, you know. Electric guitar. Yeah, electric guitar. You fucking close with a, with a musical number <laughs> as a guitar comes out of the ceiling. And, uh, re, you know, it could be really, you could be super energetic and, you know. It could be. <laughs> could be what do you want like like what do you want what is it that you want to happen like what do you what do you Um, you're writing on the show you're yeah develop your own show do you want to release you know like yeah i mean i think that's the ultimate i think the ultimate you want to be on it or just like writing i would love to i would love to create a show i mean I, i probably for somebody else i mean i i would do my own thing but i would rather someone say like if, if I could do whatever I wanted, it might not be my own thing, but mm-hmm. I would, um, I don't know. I just, and in a perfect world, I'd write something and someone would make it and I'd get to keep doing stand up. Yeah. And, uh, that's it really. I mean, it's not that, it's not that crazy. Would you want to release a special every few years or do you want to tour? Um, I would like to release a special as often as I have the material, but not, um, not feel the pressure to, to have to do it every year. I I don't know if I like writing and I like, uh, I, I really like seeing other people say the things I write. Like I really, I like that part of, uh, writing for other people. And, um, I think that would probably... I don't know. I, I just don't know if I would have time to tour regularly and also do the work that I want to do here. Yeah. But I would like to be out more for sure. I, I think it could be kind of interesting to approach joke writing, especially with the show that you're on, of like the way that you write comedy is trying to come up with jokes that you know would never clear <laughs> yeah. on the show that you're working on because it's a network show. The weird thing is that a lot, we get a lot on. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's surprising to me. Sometimes there's stuff we get on where I'm like, I'm like, Oh, they're letting us do that. Like it, it but it's, uh, I don't know. It's always, a, it's always a surprise to see what they come in and, and say you can't do. You, well, you were at Kimmel first, right? Was that, your I was f- at Kimmel. I was at, uh, Crank Yankers and Kimmel. Really, in college, I was on a pilot. I worked on a pilot that Scott Ackerman and B.J. Uh, Porter produced. That uh, that uh, me and uh, and Dan and B.J. and I think Jonah worked on it. Like it was a, a little pilot that didn't get picked up. Oh my up. god, then, all four of you. Yeah, and then um, and then yeah, and then I did Crank Yankers and then Kimmel and then took a little like break where I did some pilots, like uh, you know, acting pilots and. Uh, and then I did uh, Fallon, and then I came out back out here. Oh, that's did, right. You were on Jimmy's show for a while. Yeah. The it's first be, two years. I mean, there's so, there's, such, there's so many tectonic shifts in late night right now. Yeah. Like, more than at any other time, it feels like. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I mean, I, I'm really happy for, I'm, for Fallon and Kimmel. Like, I think Kimmel's really, you know, when I was there... Uh, I don't know if, like, I, it's so nice to see that show become popular, like, become, like, 
uh, a big popular presence in late night. And then I don't know. I, I have not, I've not had any bad experiences like with either of those guys. So it's, it's hard to, uh, not that you ask me like who I'm rooting for. No, but I, I think the, um, the sort of the post traditional late night mentality is over. Yes. Where they're all not, I mean, if they're neurotic, they hide it well, you know, like they seem cool. Like everyone's Ferguson's cool. Jimmy's cool. Seth's cool. Kimmel's cool. Pete's awesome. Conan's great. Like, yeah, fucking cool. They're all, it's like, you know, that idea of, you know, when you're watching, like when I watch Letterman and I go, I I bet he hates that person that he's talking (laughs) to. Like, I don't feel that way. You know, it seems like everyone likes each other too, which is really interesting. Yeah. It doesn't feel hyper competitive i mean i'm I suppose it is competitive because what isn't but it seems like you know conan and kimmel and fallon and you know that wave like they're they, they seem to be good with each other now yeah i mean i don't know yeah i think it was just there there was a different there was just a different system in place before where there were like three networks really then kind of then four yeah um, cable wasn't really at that time a viable source for real quality entertainment yet. And so it was just super competitive. I mean, they were, you know, they didn't, no one really understood the idea of, you know, like niche audiences yet. It was like, well, it's all or nothing. Right. I either get all 30 million of these people or fuck, you know, fuck it. Right. And so I think it was just. The landscape, it was just different. It was yeah. just, everything was just different back then. So it was just more competitive. You can't do that show if you do my show because there's only right. four places and I can't let people, now that choices are infinite, it right. just doesn't even fucking matter. Like, yeah, I know that guy was on that show, but now he's on yeah. my show. So you like him, right? <laughs> you know? So it, it's just, it, 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 everything's just different now. So I think they were all, that's probably just a reaction to all of that, that previous. Mentality. Yeah, now it's just like we're all going to have less people. Is everyone okay <laughs> with that? We agree that it's a lot less. It's a lot less people, but if we you, all get some. If you add up all of the audiences from every late night show, if you add all of them uh-huh. up, and there's a lot of them now, it is still dramatically less than what Carson was pulling in every night alone. <laughs> dramatically less. I mean, by like half, I, you know, I think. So it it's... It's it's pretty interesting. It's pretty interesting. That by the way, like just as a writer, like late night stuff is to me that's the best boot camp for just having to generate new material every day. Like there's no. You I mean, I love like I like writing non sitcoms and stuff too. But I but if someone had not been making me, if, if you told me as a stand up. Get get up every morning and write five pages of your own jokes. I'd be like, I, I can't do it. There's no way. <laughs> but it's like get up every morning and write five pages of, of jokes about this. You're like, oh, okay. And like once you think you can do that and know you can do that, it's pretty interesting. Like how that helps in other other areas too. I guess. Well, yeah, because it 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 seems it is hard, but I think it seems scarier than it actually is once you once you get past all of the. I don't know. Like once you get past all the bad self-talk, right? Then it's like, oh yeah, I'm a, I have a brain and yeah. I'm a person and I have experience doing this and I could, you know, they're not all going to be great jokes, but I could still write, you know, I could write them yeah. and some of them are going to be good, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, it all goes back to stand up. You're like, you've already experienced bombing. You've bombed. Like people have literally, you know, not liked you to your face. <laughs> like <laughs> So 
what's the you know what's the harm in like turning in a few crappy jokes on a page if a few of them are good? Yeah, you've already done. You've already, you've already been told you suck in the worst <laughs> possible way. Yeah, bombing. You know, bombing's really great for that reason. Is that if you can survive it, you know, it is sort of like the walk on coals sort of a thing. Like, oh, all right, that stung, mm-hmm. but I'm okay. I lived. Yeah. I, I want to do this again. I want to figure out. It's not the worst thing in the. It yeah. feels bad, but you know. It's you know I'll feel okay tomorrow. It's not it's not the worst it's not the worst thing in the world, <laughs> but it's still um, it's still you can comfort really is kind of the enemy a lot of the time, especially if you're you know for me I, I started to get used to performing for people who came to see me on purpose. So if right. I drop into a room and I don't, none of those people know who I am. There, I, it reminds me like, oh, you got to stay on your toes. Like, yeah. These people don't know you, so they're not. You're not going to say, hey, it's me, and they're going to go, yes. You know, like you have to earn it again, and that's different. Yeah, I don't. I don't, I still don't get that. Like once in a while, I'll hear like a mumbling of like, blah, 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 I saw her on Chelsea lately. Like I'll get like, well, I'll like hear someone say that as I go on the stage, but I don't. Uh, but I don't. I don't really get like the big crowds like coming out just free, which I kind of like too. I you know. Well, I think with the spe- you know, like when you put the special, where where is the special on uh, Netflix? It's on Netflix, and then uh, iTunes, the album. I think that's going to be tremendously helpful because Netflix will, you know, it'll pop up. It'll people. It'll get recommended to people. Like Netflix is one of the few really great platforms because it does put it. It takes a lot of the searching out for. We still have right. to search through Netflix, but. It has a thing set up where if someone goes to look at comedy, for now, your special is going to be one of the first things that pops up. Yeah. So that's tremendously helpful. No, it is. It's great. I'm, I'm happy that it, it wound up there, especially because, like I said, we, when we made it, it was like, you know, I just wanted to do it with friends out of pocket, like not deal with what the end result was going to be. So, like, Netflix is a good end result for me, I think. Do you think you'd be a good famous person? No. <laughs> I think I have too many, uh, I have, uh, yeah, I have too many, like, anxieties, like, social anxieties already with people, like, I, I'm already, like, socially anxious when nobody knows who I am. I can't imagine being, I've been around, like, famous people when they're getting yelled at and, I uh, it was like, <laughs> and then I get like anxious from oh, you get other anxious. people getting yelled at. Like it just doesn't seem. I I could I don't know. It doesn't seem that fun to me to be. If you're if it's your fans and your audience and people who know exactly what you do, I get it. But to just be that guy from that thing to someone, that's when it sounds like scary and weird and a huge imposition. Like when you're just like, hey, it's that guy. If from you're walking into the thing. grocery store and someone's like, are you sure my finger's in your butt? And you're like, I don't know you. What are you doing? Please. Yeah, you get like a lot of those reactions to people of like, really liked you. Uh, would eat a cheeseburger for you? You know, some yeah. like reference to a joke that you. Well, like, like the Sa- Saget's example was after half baked, you know, like he'd be out with his kids and people would be like, hey, Bob Saget, you suck dick for Coke. And he's like, my kids are right here. My kids are right here. <laughs> because I think, you know, you're you're sort of uh you're sort of this kind of one dimensional thing. I mean they you know, they essentially well, they see you in two dimensions, right? They see right. you as a flat thing. 
So, you know, it's, that's just how they relate to you. Yeah. I mean, it there really doesn't, you know, if I'm, if, you know, if I'm somewhere and people are like, talking dead, singled out, <laughs> podcast, points, or whatever they say. It doesn't really ever... That's a guy who knows so much about me. you and yet so little. Like... <laughs> <laughs> doesn't know, your, doesn't know, know your, your name. Yeah. Doesn't know your name. Doesn't say hi, Chris. They just like are like, I know him from... What do I know him from? And list every single thing you've done. <laughs> <laughs> Auburndale Elementary School, Memphis, Tennessee. Whoa, what? <laughs> yeah, that's... That's right. That 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 would actually that would kind of freak me out is when is when people know intimate things and you're like, how do you know that? You know, yeah. but it's not really. I mean, again, it, none of this is ever a problem for me. I don't. I'm totally cool with it. Um, you know, but I I think it, it, there will be a day at some point where I'm in a really like bad mood or something horrible, and then someone's like, hey, point. You know, I'm like, please. I'm trying to heal from this thing. Why don't you understand? I'm a, you know, I, I, can, I can sort of, I can't picture myself ever having a meltdown, but I guess I can sort of understand why some people at the top, top levels will just like freak out at yeah. photographers or freak out at people. It's just like, please just give me yeah. a fucking space. Yeah, it seems uh, it's and it seems like a lot of people just become very private. I mean, I know people who you know the minute they became huge, like I I, I didn't see them anywhere again. Based, I mean, socially or you know, people tend to hide out. I think the the best comparison I have for that is you know, like you have a dog, right? You have a dog? No, you have a cat. I have a dog that's on like on my Instagram all the ca- all the time because I babysit it. Oh, so that's not actually your no, dog. No, so people think it's my dog. I follow you on the Instagram. You have a great view from your place. Thank you. you have a really nice apartment. Thanks a lot. Um, but it's one bedroom, it's not a big deal. It's pretty sweet though. You can see the city from there. <laughs> but I, I, I uh, the comparison that I have is you know coming home from work at the end of a day and having a you know having a dog or like in this case Chloe's dog and. He's just really excited to see. He's just really excited to see it. Like, oh my god, that's like. But if I'm just not in the mood, it's just like, please, just give me a minute. You know, like even with a dog who just wants a little bit of love. You know, I still like. I just need a. I just let's have some boundaries. I just give me a minute to decompress. So you're saying fans are like dogs? Oh man, see, I knew you were gonna say it that way. And yes, yes, I do. <laughs> They're just like Chloe's dog Diego. Um, but it uh, it. It is kind of a it's 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 an interesting thing that this idea that people I don't know why I guess because it makes us feel superior this this obsession that our culture has with fame mm-hmm. and like being famous and having people I don't know I think in a, it's nice you know when it's pleasant yeah but it just the dark sides of it seems so fucking so dark so weird and dark and devastating and you know like if you do. You know, go and just shave your head in public. Then everyone's like, oh. And then you freak out because everyone's poking at you and poking at you and do something else. Like, yeah. oh, my God, how can this happen? I'm like, oh, because they're being poked at by yeah. a million different directions. I mean, it's not. Is it? Is it any shock that Justin Bieber keeps doing crazier and crazier shit? And the more it's like, look at this thing. He's just. It's just going to get worse. Yeah, and I think as a comedian, obviously, like you have to, if you want to keep doing stand-up, you have to say somewhat in the real world, and that's so hard to do if you're some big superstar. Not only that, but you know, uh, ironically, m- a lot of comedians are not great at interpersonal communication. <laughs> so, you know, like seeing a person that, um, I mean, even like in Louis's case, you know, Louis's 
the most f- one of the most flawless people on stage you could see. But if you see him in public and you run up to him, he can be awkward. Yeah. And it's like, oh, well, you're not the fucking, you know, that's not, I thought you're supposed to be, and that can be kind of jarring for people, you know, if they, if they don't kind of get what they want out of the experience or like, you know, the time I ran up to Steve Martin and found out that he actually doesn't love it when people run up and (laughs) slobber all over him because he's very shy and socially anxious, you know, that we can have that sort of dual, the the duality of our identity of like. Oh, but you're on stage, you know. So it's hard to understand. Like, but yeah. you, you're just on stage just talking to a bunch of people. Now I've go, cornered that's you. That's not me. <laughs> that's not the real me. <laughs> and then that's when you throw the smoke bomb down and disappear. Yes. <laughs> um, so uh, the, spe- the special's on Netflix right now mm-hmm. and forever uh, and iTunes. And um, are, you feel good about it? You feel like you got I what you do, wanted out of yeah. it? Yeah. I mean, I... I I do. I feel like uh, I kind of had. I, I kind of had like a, some freedom to do what I wanted. I guess. I mean, I don't. I do feel good about it. Good. I don't know why I'm being weird about that. It's funny. You know why? Because it's weird, because it's it feels weird, weird, to, weird to, say, to admit it. Yeah, it feels weird to say you like your own thing. It's you know, there's a sort of fine line between, and I think a lot of us have it of the sort of self-deprecating thing or the not being comfortable with, you know that things can be okay or we can be proud of things sure. because it sort of exposes us in a weird sort of way to to have to stand behind the things we do. Yes. <laughs> because, you know, if it lifts later, it, you're like, you hate it, and it's like, oh, I, you know, I, I got past that. I thought that was yeah. great at the time, but I got past it, you know. It just, sometimes it's hard to commit because it makes us more accountable of the things we do, and that's very uncomfortable to be accountable for everything that you do and say. I was terrified to uh, to put it out, and I'll always be terrified to put things out. And, <laughs> and I mean, even like this podcast where I'm just like, uh, I'm like, why am I doing? No one wants to hear me. Like, I, in my head, like that's the inner voice. It's like no one wants to see it, no one wants to hear it. And then I, I wonder what like, that voice is. I mean, I wonder. Everyone had that come from somewhere. I, I feel like mine was being sort of like unpopular in school, or being popular for being unpopular. If that makes any sense. <laughs> I wonder if that's where I don't know. Where do you think yours came from? I don't. I don't know. I. I just. Uh, it's a weird. It's. It's a kind of like my. I only my confidence comes from like seeing things. You know, seeing myself rewarded for certain things, but not from myself. Right. It's all like outside factors. I'm like, oh, I must have done good because that person said I did good. <laughs> uh, yeah, again, not, it's it's not it's 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 very but to, yeah to say something's good in my head like yeah do I like it is it good I put it out there yeah I do like it and I think you will like it like that's what I want to say to people but it sounds like my like whatever wherever it starts in my head I'm like don't tell people they'll like it that's don't be an asshole yeah maybe that's what it is too is that you know we you know I have this horrible fear of being the guy who's just not aware of himself right where you know where you you've seen people and. They and it's not even that you can't put someone down for being hopeful, but if they just seem completely blind to the way a situation is about themselves, and it's like a guy thinks he's killing and he's yeah. not killing, but he has no which is there's nothing wrong with that, but when someone 
just doesn't want to acknowledge that like, oh, it might be their fault for not, you know, a fucking audience. Yeah. Like, oh, I don't want to be the guy that thinks he's better than he actually is. Yeah. So God forbid you be the guy who says that something's good and, you know, and and have people go, oh, you hear Morgan on that podcast. She said she thought she thinks her special's good. Like, I don't know. Well, it just it gives it gives people it, it basically it's expose it's you expose yourself to getting smacked like it's basically like it is it's it's making yourself vulnerable like going here I'm just gonna open up my shirt and expose my heart yeah so um, this gives you the opportunity to kick it with your shoe if you want to and so it, yeah it is it it's it's fear I think it's just fear of being hurt fear of being exposed. And and I was I did Greg Fitzsimmons podcast today and it and it feels like he he had the same sort of thing. I think a lot of comics, as much as we expose ourselves on stage, I think a lot of us actually have a really deep fear of being exposed in a weird sort of way. Like he, I was saying because all the curtains are drawn in my dressing room, and he's like, "Oh, you don't like the sunlight?" I'm like, "Yeah, I just don't like it that people could walk by and see me." <gasps> Even like not that I'm doing anything weird, I just don't like that I could be watched when I don't know. I'm I just don't like feeling exposed, you know. Sounds like a lot. <laughs> sounds like a lot to get into. You think so? I don't know. I mean, maybe you just don't. It's just you just want a little privacy. Maybe it's simple. I wonder how many things are actually that simple. But it's like, no, man. This <laughs> this time, my stepdad didn't pick me up on time, and I sat there when I was thirteen, and my brain was forming. You know, <laughs> or if it's just like, oh yeah, it's just uncomfortable if people. Yeah, it's weird. It's a little weird. I get it. Are you that way? Do I want people looking at me while I'm working? You mean? <laughs> no. Are you weird about like there's a girl near near my girlfriend's apartment? Um, there's a there's a there's a there's this girl who lives in another apartment and mm-hmm. her her drapes are always open. So if you're walking by, it's not even like you don't even have to try to look in. You just see her living her life, sitting on the computer. Her computer. Yeah. You, if I really stood there and stared, I could see exactly what it was that yeah. she was looking at. Windows in the kitchen, like I can just watch her just sitting in her pajamas. And to me, that feels weird. I get uncomfortable for her, even though she doesn't give a shit. Yeah, I get it. I mean, I'm not... I feel like I, you want me to dive in and and be just as anti-people looking at you in the window as, as Well, not are. if you don't feel that way. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I, but no, no, no I, get, I would be very uncomfortable with anybody. Uh, I'm very... Pr- not prote- not that I need to be protective of my privacy now that people are trying to invade it, but I'm very um, I love my personal space, my private space, and my my alone time. And you have you know. ever lived with a, a, a guy before? No, like, I've never had a I never had any siblings, and I had a couple of roommates, but I've never like lived with a guy or uh, or even I mean, for most of my life, I've lived by myself or with a parent. <laughs> Do you think if you if you if if you do find that one really special person mm-hmm. that you're gonna be do you see you're just gonna be like you have your place and I'll have my place or I think that's how it'll be for a long while. I don't see myself uh, moving in with somebody and like giving up something that's that important to me, which is my own space. I can't. I I don't know. I I. Yeah, I think about it a lot. I'm like, in my morning routine, I'm like, maybe I do all this wrong and no one knows it because I haven't seen it yet. Like, I always like, <laughs> like, I just, that's, I, I, I don't know. I've never had somebody 
in my space that much. And I think that's part of, I think part of the obstacle of like meeting someone even is letting somebody in a little bit. And I'm just like, I don't know if I'm ready to do that on, on so many fronts, like in my space, in my life. I'm like, I have a routine. It all works seemingly well, I think. Oh, routines are great. Yeah. That being said, I, uh, if uh, I sh- should desperately meet somebody, um, <laughs> you can't stay with me though. Oh no! Wait, did you say you can't stay with me? I was being you. Oh yeah, you yeah, can't yeah, stay can't with stay me stay though. Right. I would like to meet you and take you in doses. And now it is time for you to leave. Yeah, but there are guys like that too. So hopefully, you meet someone who's got their own life, and you have your own life, and you can somehow figure out how those two blend without. You know, I don't know if I'll ever be the girl who wants to be with someone 100% of the time. And Maybe not. You know. Or maybe, you know, like maybe you'll meet someone and then it'll just be like, oh, this feels easy. Yeah. Let's do it. And I'll leave everything for him. Yay. <laughs> All my dreams and hopes. So you're describing the plot of Bewitched. <laughs> a show about rampant sexism. <laughs> You, I want you to deny who you are, Sam, for me to live in my world. I could weirdly see myself doing that, which is int- like if I met a guy and he lived in like Michigan and he made boats or something. Not using like, your witchcraft. Not using my witchcraft. <laughs> I would, I would, I would not use my witchcraft, <laughs> and I would, uh, you know, I don't know, in a few years, go out and live in Michigan, make some boats. Kind of sounds nice. You want to come? Yeah, I want to come right. make boats with you. We'll make comedy boats. Boats shaped like dicks. <laughs> It'll be great. Just penis canoes. Penis canoes. Kayak. Cock. I don't know. I was trying to do something there that just didn't want to happen. So square peg, round hole. But no pun intended. Um, this is a, we're kind of at the end of the podcast now. It just it flew by. Does it, I'm supposed to end with like a big funny story. No, this isn't a comedy set. You don't oh. have to. You can if you want to. Do no, you have I a don't. Big funny story? I don't. All right. <laughs> Did you ever figure out when someone's finger was in your butt? I think it was in my butt. I'm pretty sure it was in my butt. But I. But since so... then, did you sort of figure out the difference? Yeah, I haven't had a lot of fingers in my butt since then. That was like a. I don't know. Should I have more in my butt? I don't know. Listen, you just, you know, eventually you'll meet a guy that you yeah. want to move into your apartment in your butt. <laughs> and until that time, there's no rush, you know, enjoy. Enjoy the personal butt space that you have. Uh, it's so nice. It's so nice when, you're, when your butt is your butt and nobody else's. <laughs> nobody else's. I'm not ready to give my butt up yet. Yeah. I'm not ready to give my butt up to another person. Soon. But not yet. Get away from my butt, dog. I just got home. <laughs> um, all right. That's it. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Thanks for being here, Morgan Murphy. It's good to see you. And I know it's unfortunate because I really wanted you to do at midnight, but your schedule just doesn't allow it. Yeah. So yeah. Come on when unfortunately. You, when you can. I will. I would love to do it. And I love the show. Cool. Well, it's good to see you. Good to see you. Enjoy your burrito, everyone. You should tell everyone, enjoy your burrito. You have a, you have a good voice. Enjoy your burrito, everyone. It's so pleasant. All right. The end. Spike in the microphone. I don't want to break the new microphone. I'm sorry. (laughs) Poor Katie. No, I just got those. Was that okay? No, we're going to have to do that all over. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. 
In the climate-ravaged year of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven, a geoengineered paradise that protects fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. Demetria Lopez heads up Pura's public relations, tirelessly promoting the city's idyllic image. But when she stumbles upon a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she is willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Rhea Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.